Hello, I'm Reginald Roper, and this is my wife, Valencia Roper, and my son, Reggie and Jalen. And I'm here to give a testimony about my life. Um, I was living life um, with the devil, uh, and I needed Jesus in my life. So I was turning the channel in, on one Sunday and saw Jay Wolf on, and I listened to the inner part of his sermon, and uh, a number popped up. So I said, I need to call that number. Well, I think it was Jesus telling me I need to call that number. And so um, I called the number, a little hesitant at first, but I called the number, and when the phone answered, it was uh, Marbethel. I told him I was tired and I was living life on my own for so long that I needed Jesus in my life. And all of a sudden, I was just so full that I started crying. And uh, Ma told me everything would be all right. He prayed with me, talked to me a little bit, and got my number, kept my number, and I got his number, and we just communicated back and forth. So I called my wife after me and Ma hung up the phone, and, um, told my wife what I had done. And I told my wife she needed to do the same because uh, she was in the hospital at the time and uh, dealing with um, a few issues uh, with her ankle and her Crohn's disease. And I told my wife that she needed to do the same thing. Well, um, for the past couple of years, I've been dealing with severe pain and I've been going to doctor after doctor. They not knowing what it was telling me that it could have been, I could have just made the pain up or it was arthritis. And it got really bad last year. I had to go to the hospital because my ankle swelled up so bad I couldn't walk, I couldn't sleep. And um, they said that it was my Crohn's disease that's um, affecting my joints. And I had to have surgery on my ankles and I had to um, have a colonoscopy. And um, after I had surgery on my ankles, I called the church and talked to Pastor Mark. And he prayed, we talked. And um, a couple months later, we got baptized and, and now we're here. And I would just like to tell all the non-believers that Jesus is the way to the kingdom. And if you're lost in this world, you need to come to Jesus right now. I appreciate everyone, the non-believers that, if it's in your heart, if you want to change, Jesus will make a way. get no better testimony of the gospel than that. That uh, several months ago, as Reg and Valencia were baptized, uh, they have not missed a Sunday morning in their spot. Every Sunday at 8.30, they sit right there, and they are ready for Jesus to help change their lives week in and week out. Reg said it better than I ever could, that if you want Jesus to change your life, he can. Reg was tired of living for himself, living for, as he said, the devil, and I believe that the Lord prompted him to call that number. I believe that today the Lord may be prompting you to do something. Maybe it's to call the number on the screen. Maybe it's to walk forward down the aisle. Maybe it's simply to get your life right with Jesus. 
I know that we've walked in here with a lot of weariness and fatigue, and we're all got a lot going on in our lives. But friends, today is a day that the Lord can speak to your heart. We've sung about the solid rock on which we stand, and maybe some of you have walked in here stepping on all sorts of shifting sands, and you're not feeling the peace that surpasses all understanding. Maybe you've just walked in here and you said, this is the end. But can I tell you that today there is hope to be found in Jesus, that every song that we sing, every single thing that we do, every scripture memory that we've sung about has pointed our eyes to Jesus. And here at this point where we come to God's word, our goal again is to lift up the name of Jesus and point ourselves on the direction of Jesus. So would you join me? Let's just pray that the Lord would cover our hearts and open our hearts to receive. Dear Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for Reg and Valencia's testimony of faith. That on a normal Sunday in May, as the invitation was made to follow Jesus, Reg called and he accepted Jesus on that phone call. And his next call was to his wife and said, Valencia, you need to follow Jesus. We can't keep doing this on our own. And Valencia, there in that hospital room, gave her life to Jesus. And their kids followed Jesus. Lord, thank you. But I pray that's a testimony across this faith family that today, the last day of February, we would, we would gird ourselves in the truth of your word and we would follow you with all the days that you call us to. Lord, if we've been serving in this church for many years, if we've known you for many years, Lord, we, we want to follow you more closely. We want to radiate your light of the gospel more clearly for a watching world to see. So help us, Lord. We know that you are willing, that you are able. So, Lord, I pray that we humble ourselves and come to you. Each of us has a testimony to share. So, Lord, as we walk through these few verses, we pray that we would be changed people today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you come with me to Mark chapter 2, and we will start in verse 13. If you have your Bibles, you can open with me. If you have your outline, you'll see on this front and back a a short little outline of Jesus' meal with sinners, so I pray that you'd follow along with us as we dive into God's Word. We're going to continue on, and so would you follow with me in your copy of God's Word in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Jesus went out beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to them, follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. And he reclined at a table in his house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For they were, there were many who followed him, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So let's dive into this. There's just a few verses, but there's a lot of good stuff here. The first thing that we see, number one on your outline, is let's look at Levi's calling. Let's look at Levi's calling. You see verse 13 and 14, that as Jesus was out again by the sea, he was doing what we've seen him want to do this entire time. Since the beginning of Mark, we see that Jesus' goal has been to teach. And so often as he heals a demoniac, what does he do? Hey, don't tell anybody. I got to keep teaching. Right? As he heals a leper, he says, hey, go offer yourself to the priest, but I I need to keep teaching. Right? He's driven out to desolate places to keep teaching. And here he is doing the thing that he keeps trying to do, but getting interrupted from doing because the crowds are pressed all against him. What's he doing? He's teaching them. 
Now, we don't have the content of what Jesus is teaching. We just simply know that he's in this house and he's teaching the people. And as he's walking by, he spots Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. Now, what do we see in Levi? One, we see that he is a tax collector. First little underpoint there is that Levi was a tax collector. Now, if you know much about uh, Roman taxation and what's going on, that Levi would have been hired out, uh, contracted by the Roman government to collect taxes. And this was an incredibly lucrative position because Levi would have had the leverage to charge whatever he wanted to above and beyond what was actually due the Roman government. So the tax collectors were seen as traitors to their own people because they were robbing their own people of their money for their own personal gain. So you can imagine these tax collectors were not really highly sought after buddies, right? If you had to pay your taxes to a guy in town, would you be his friend? Y'all might, but I don't know, man. It'd be kind of tough to turn over that money knowing that if you owed $1,000, he was asking you for 2000 If you were asking for, you knew that you were supposed to pay this much, he was trying to get over and above what was actually required. So the tax collectors, Levi, was not really the highestly sought-after person in the town. He was seen as a traitor to his own people. And, and to me, I would seem like this is hardly the best choice for one of Jesus' disciples, Right? He was crooked. He was greedy. The people didn't like him. He didn't come with much social clout to the table as a disciple of Jesus. This is not who Jesus probably should have chosen. But it's precisely the person that Jesus chose. I mean, let's look back. We're in Mark chapter 2, and who has already Jesus come around? He's already put his hands on a nasty, dirty, leprous person. Jesus put his hands on that person. Jesus healed a man possessed with demons. Jesus is hanging out with the, with the people he shouldn't be hanging out with, doing the things that he shouldn't do by the scribes and Pharisees' position. And he's going to call a man who is sought after by all the wrong people. These are precisely the people that Jesus is choosing to use. I'm sure he could have come by and called the best people, the people with the most social clout and influence and religious morality. I'm sure he could have come down and called any number of those people. But Jesus specifically saw Levi, a tax-collecting traitor, hater by the, hated by the people, could not be trusted to be a disciple of his. Does that give anybody else hope in this room? Anybody else feeling like maybe the Lord can't use you because you're too far gone or you're not good enough or you're not strong enough or wise enough or have everything together or maybe you've sinned and fallen too short in the past and you think God can't use me? Well, precisely, he can. In fact, he chooses most often to use the people who the world would consider unused. But you know who he chooses not to use more often than not? It's a cliffhanger. We'll talk about that later, okay? So, Jesus' calling was a tax collector. We see the pattern of Jesus using the people who we would consider not to be used. But also in this, we see the second little point is that Levi's decision was life-altering. This decision to be a tax collector was one that was sought after by all the people. Even though it was despised by his own people, it was sought after. Why? Because it was a get-rich scheme in which you did get rich quick. When you came into this position, you could charge whatever you wanted to charge and make the money that you wanted to make, and you could get rich very quickly. It was a very lucrative position. And so unlike when Jesus called the fishermen, the fishermen could at any moment go back and start fishing again and rebuild their business. For a tax collector, he was leaving everything behind, 
Levi is not picking up this new job later on. He is leaving behind this very lucrative position. And as soon as Levi stepped away, there was probably many more in the ranks ready to become a tax collector and make their money. This decision by Levi was life-altering and would change every portion of his life. See, it reminds me, friends, when we come to Jesus, when we follow Jesus with everything that we are, it changes everything that we are. For Levi, it changes his profession. Levi was likely greedy in his collecting of the taxes, following Jesus, not that it made him perfect, but it changed his vocation and his mentality. For us as believers, when we come to Jesus, it affects every portion of our lives. We come to Jesus and we are we're prideful, then it should affect our humility. If we come to Jesus and we have racism in our hearts, it should affect us to love people the way that Jesus loves people. If we come to Jesus and we have immorality, sexual or any other immorality in our lives, it should affect us to want to change. As we come to Jesus, friends, it affects every part of our souls and lives and actions and reactions to everything in our life. It should, at least. And so as you see Levi follow Jesus, knowing that this is a life-altering decision, that he could not go back to his past. It's a reminder to me as we follow Jesus. Friends, following Jesus affects you in every way. And so as we come to a day like today, your goal every time you come to his word, every time you come to a service, every time you sing songs, is to let the word of God affect you so that it changes you, so that you don't leave it here at 305 South Perry Street, that you take it with you to the jobs and homes and families that the Lord has entrusted to you. This word, this Savior, should change you in every regard, and it should alter your soul in every way. So Jesus offers this invitation to Levi, the son of Alphaeus. He says, follow me. And what does Levi do? He gets up and he follows Jesus. The very next thing that we look at is that as Levi follows him uh, in verses 15 and 16, that Jesus is reclining at the table at Levi's house and many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples for there were many who followed him. Number two on your outline is that Jesus eats with sinners. Jesus eats with the sinners. Now, this has got the Pharisees all up in arms, right? Jesus, you can, you can heal the sins, but now you're eating with the sinners. This is a no-no. Jesus, don't you know you shouldn't do that, right? But this is precisely what gives me great hope as a sinner and as I call sinners to faith in Jesus, that Jesus does not have a line out front of the house and saying, hey, are you good enough? Hey, hey, guys, Levi, your friends here, your buddies, y'all got, are y'all good enough? Are y'all clean enough? Do y'all have your sins taken care of? Then you can come in and have some dinner with me. What is Jesus doing? These guys are still sinners. They're still tax collectors. They're still in their sins, yet Jesus is dining with them. It reminds me of the familiar verse that even when I was dead in my sins and trespasses, that God made me alive together with Christ. Friends, as we come to Jesus, as we'll talk about in just a moment, we don't, we don't have all of our stuff together. We don't have our ducks in a row and our lives completely in order. That's what we follow Jesus for. 
that he helps us and cleans us and holds us and carries us, that he loves us, as we talked about earlier in that song, that he holds us and loves us and heals us and cleanses us on the daily he is working in us in the process of sanctification. And Jesus is sharing a meal with the most sinful of people. That's a huge no-no, though. But don't you know the intimacy that comes along with a shared meal? I mean, I just ask in this room, I don't know how many of you shared a first date at some point, whether it's with your spouse or with somebody else, maybe your first date, where was it? I can guarantee you that most everyone in this room shared a first date over a meal. Well, maybe you're too scared to talk to the person, so you went to a movie, I don't know. But most of you went on a first date at a meal, why? There's something that seems almost holy about just sharing a hamburger together, right? that you talk and you converse, you get to know the other person, you recline at this table, you share life with the other person as you have a meal together. And Jesus is doing this most intimate of things, just sharing a meal with sinners. And I've tried to picture what this looks like. I don't have very good Jesus storybook pictures of this, where you have good pictures of Jesus teaching and he's underneath a tree and he's teaching a whole bunch of people by a hillside. But think about what it was like for Jesus with a whole bunch of sinners hanging out, eating a meal. Can you picture it? That gotta be kind of cool. He's sitting around just eating some dinner together and asking some questions. Jesus asking you some questions and you're just sharing a meal, talking together. What a beautiful thought. Jesus dining with sinners. It gives me, it gives me a lot of hope to think about the reality of Jesus not pushing people away or saying, you're not good enough, you're not clean enough, you're not right enough yet. Let's dine together. Let me walk with you. Reminds me of when Jesus called his disciples. He says, I will make you a fisher of men. Not that you're perfect, not that you are already, but I am becoming in you what it looks like. I am molding in you this picture of myself. And daily, we are walking with Jesus, and he is molding in us his image. Well, this last little portion is where I want to spend most of our time in verse 17. As Jesus is eating with sinners and he is fellowshipping with them, the Pharisees who are always on the uh, antagonistic side of Jesus, the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors said to his disciples, why would this man eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. See, number three on your outline is Jesus' mission clearly described. Jesus' mission described. You know, there, there will come a point in every man's life when he will get lost. It happens. Not as much as it used to in our day, but I can vividly recall one of the first dates that I took Brittany on was a concert in Atlanta. And part of the preparation for this date was to go on mapquest.com and print off about 20 pages worth of directions. Remember that? You had like a folder of directions that you would get to and your navigator would make sure you didn't miss a turn because if you missed a turn, you were essentially dead because you didn't know where you were. I mean, there's no GPS. You had to print off the directions and carry them with you. And there was no detours. There was no, I guess we'll go try somewhere else out. You had to stay on the MapQuest directions, right? That was life. But before that, there's a time where you would get lost. And maybe you have been lost driving in a car. And there comes a moment where you say to yourself, am I going to keep driving and get more lost and have my pride with me? Or will I stop and ask for directions? Now here, 
I'm grumbling. I'm not ever asking for directions. I'm not finding them, right? And sometimes, friends, we do the same thing with the Lord. And you see Jesus coming here and say, it's not those who are well who are in need of a physician, but those who know that they are sick. Those who get found are those who recognize that they are lost. And so often we come to Scripture, we come to the Lord, and we come in this spirit of self-righteousness. That, oh, I'm, not, I'm not that lost. I'm not, I, come on, man, I'll figure my way out around. I'll figure my way out around the loop, and I'll get my way back. Friends, we were lost. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. So the first thing that we need to be watchful for, as you see on your outline, is be watchful against self-righteousness. That we need to be watchful in our tendency towards self-righteousness and toward pharisaicalism. Just made that word up. Sounds pretty good. And toward being a Pharisee. See, our tendency, your tendency, my tendency, to simply think that we have it all together and everything is okay and Jesus has just simply given us our get-out-of-hell-free card and we'll continue walking however we want to walk. We need to be careful to watch against self-righteousness because, as Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician. And Jesus is not saying those who are all well and have it all together. Jesus is saying those who believe and falsely believe that they are well. See, those who are well or think they've got it all together, essentially looking at the Pharisees and saying, I know y'all think that y'all have it all together. You're the very people that cannot be used because you hardened your heart and refused to see who I am. Earlier when I talked about Levi and how it seems like the Lord uses people like Levi who he calls out of things and he doesn't seem to call the Pharisees to the same following because their their hearts are hard as can be. Jesus does something miraculous and they look at it and they find a way to, to undermine it or go against it. And so we have to be watchful against self-righteousness that we recognize our sinfulness and need of a Savior desperately. That it's foolish for us to simply see the need and say, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad off. I shared with you all several months ago, our daughter, uh, Helena, woke up in the middle of the night screaming her head off. Went to her room to see what was going on and uh, to see if she was okay or just had a bad dream. And she said her foot hurt. That was a new one. And so we looked at her foot, and we looked underneath her foot, and she had this big old wallop in her foot. I thought, what in the world is this? And so we rushed her to the doctor, and uh, they looked at it, and it was infected, and it had a uh, doctor pulled out this tiny, tiny little microscopic piece of pine straw from her foot. Now, as we woke up in the middle of the night, and we looked at this pulsating, nasty foot that my wife had to look at. Um, I couldn't stomach it. Um, can you imagine us looking at that foot saying, ah, Helen Ann, you'll be fine. And we got to go to the doctor in the middle of the night. We got to rub ointment on it. It's probably going to hurt her real bad. It'll be fine. She'll, be, she'll get over it one day. You know, she'll be okay. She may have to have her leg amputated, but no big deal. You know, it'll be, everything will be okay. Of course not. We saw a problem. We saw an issue. We recognized that this foot was not as it should be. Let's get her to someone who can help her and get her well. It was all, I mean, nothing was going to stop us from getting her to a doctor to get this thing fixed. Even if there was a little pain involved, we were going to get my girl fixed. Friends, as you read and you understand what is in your heart, when you come and recognize that God's word changes you and should affect every part of you as you recognize things in you, we say, Lord, 
I need you as the great physician. Use your scalpel and come in and remove things. Use your healing balm to come in and, and help me in the chapped areas of my life just to help and encourage me. But it's the height of foolishness to see a physician who can help you. Say, ah, not for me. Not for me. Don't think I need that healing. Don't think, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll get enough on my own. Friends, Jesus beckons and calls. But what keeps us from going to him is our own hardness of heart, our own unwillingness to admit that we need saving. So we need to be careful and watchful in self-righteousness, but we also need to be watchful in insulation. We need to be watchful in insulation. Jesus is going and eating with the tax collectors and sinners. He's saying that those who are well have no need of physician, but who needs the physician but those who are sick? And so what does Jesus do? But he goes to them. He goes to the sick and hurting. He puts his hands all over the sick and the hurting, as we'll continue to see. He doesn't shy away from them and stay, hang around the people who are most like him. He goes to the hurting and lost among them, and he puts his hands all over them. These are your and I's orders as well. That it is good for us to come into a faith family, into a church, to be encouraged and to pull people down to the mat to Jesus and help people and encourage people to connect with Jesus. But it is also our prerogative to go and take the good news of the gospel to the hurting people. We have the, the answer to so many of life's hurts and pains and sorrows, and we give them Jesus. And so be watchful in insulation, that we insulate and isolate ourselves from the very people who desperately need to see us living out our faith of the gospel. So be careful in insulation. And thirdly, be tellers of the grace that you have received. Be tellers of the grace by which you have received. I can tell you when Helen Ann got that little piece of pine straw out of her foot, I was extremely happy. Man, the crying went down. Our hearts changed. We were happy as could be because our little girl was healed. I told everybody, hey, you need to go see this doctor. That guy is amazing. He's so good. We love him so much. He helps us so much. He's incredible. And when I've had physical therapy on different parts of my body, I tell everybody, that guy is an incredible. And I had shoulder surgery, healed me back up, just a tiny little thing. And man, I got full range of motion. I tell people about the goodness of what people have done in my life. This past week, I had a wedding in Birmingham. My favorite restaurant in the whole world is there in Birmingham, a barbecue pot. Drove by it, wasn't going to go in, smelled it, went in got some barbecue. That good. Do you know when people say, where should I go eat in Birmingham? I say, that barbecue place. It's incredible. You don't want to miss it. It is the best barbecue anywhere. Because of what I have tasted, I want other people to experience it in the same, in the same way with the gospel. When we hear what Reginald shared about how the Lord has changed his life, that he has found peace in Jesus. When you tell people of the grace that you have received, it does incredible working. And you may say today, I don't have a testimony. Yes, you do. You know, this past week, man, I have failed as a husband and as a father to my kids. I am not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but thanks be to God for his grace that picks me up and helps me and shows me what it looks like to be a better father and husband. That's a testimony that I'm not perfect. And on the daily, God's grace is sufficient in all, oh man, all of my weaknesses. 
And so it's good for me to share, man, God is good to me this week. He has been grace-filled to me this week. And I have a testimony every single day because I have breath in my lungs and I have a family that loves me and I have a faith family that walks with me through life's ups and downs. And his grace is continually sufficient for my weaknesses. And so we tell the grace that we have received daily and daily and daily and daily, hour by hour, moment by moment, moment, God's grace is sufficient for you. So we tell it to anybody who will listen. And so let's not be insulated from those who need to hear it. Let's be encouraged when we're around one another. And let's not be so self-righteous that we don't recognize the grace that we have received every single day day. So as we come to the conclusion, the application, what do we do with all this? The simple thing is take the gospel with you. That's the simplicity of all I'm trying to tell you is take the gospel with you. Don't leave it here in the pew. The worst place you can leave what you're hearing and learning about and singing about is to leave it here in, I know you got your pews, in your pew at First Baptist Church. Take it with you. Take it with you as you go to your job tomorrow. Take it with you as you go to your home and talk to your family. Take it with you as you converse with different people who need to hear it. Take the gospel with you. That's our charge today. That's our mission. That there are people that you're going to come in contact with as you leave this place who need to hear the light and love of the gospel. So you're going to leave it here? Or are you going to take it with you? As you enter through those exit through those double doors as you turn off the TV and get into your daily life, what will be your response to Jesus' calling in your life? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you. Lord, we thank you that you continue to clean us up, pick us up, and take us out again. Lord, you are a good God. You love us. You care for us. Lord, you stay with us and remain with us always. Lord, as we come to this time of invitation, Lord, I pray that our hearts are open to receive and for us to do exactly what you're calling us to do. I pray there would be others who listen to Reginald's testimony and listen to the words of your word today. And I pray their hearts are open as can be to receive and respond. It's your name we pray. Amen.